welcome to Don't Die Before You're Dead. This is where we talk about all things related to living the life that you're meant to live. This is where we talk about how to live your dreams or how to maybe get back on the road when something has sidelined you or you run into a ditch. Um, that happens sometimes. We need to rethink what we're doing. My guest, Allison Penna, hails from New York. And Allison lost her husband about five years ago from pancreatic cancer. And due to the nature of his illness, uh, she was his caregiver for quite some time. So through her experience, she has learned firsthand about resilience. And so she has found new ways to re-engage, reinvent, and rebuild so that she gets back to life, work, and yes, even love. And it's my great pleasure to introduce Allison Penna to you, a.k.a. the Bad Widow. And if that doesn't bring questions to your mind, then uh, I don't know what to say because it sure does mine. So welcome, Allison, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Mary, for having me on. It is, it is so good to speak to someone else who has sort of been in those trenches. And a lot of the people that I know are part of my audience may not have lost someone, but some may have. And of course, we both have lost husbands, but it could be the same thing with um, those who have um, lost their wives or their significant others, if you will. So you have a number of clients that you help them and you talk about innate resilience. For people that don't think they have any, how do you start with that? Well, it was it was complicated because there there was a time right after my husband died and he died of pancreatic cancer, as you said, and the lifespan for pancreatic cancer typically is six weeks to four months. Oh my word, that's fast. Yep, and he lived for 11 months and we oh. fought for every day. We fought for every day. Um, and immediately after he died, I felt completely broken. Mm-hmm. Absolutely shattered. Even though you knew it was coming, it doesn't yep. dismiss that, does it? Well. Yeah, that's an interesting question because they they say prepare for it. And there are things that you can do to prepare, even if you have a little bit of time. So if you don't have a will, you can get the will done. You can talk about those things that you have planned together. You can get the passwords for everything. Mm -hmm. So there are things you can plan for and there are things that you can't. Mm -hmm. So you can't plan for the, the vast whole in your network of support that losing a spouse creates. Mm -hmm. And you can't plan for that first year lying in bed and in my memory, feeling my husband at my back warm and then waking up into that raw pain again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can't prepare for that. So there are things you can prepare for and things you can't. And there's a period of time when you're just broken in what I used to call a wasteland of grief. And at some point, because we're human beings and innately resilient and, and sort of built to long for more life, Mm. you know, don't die before you're dead. Exactly. Um, And so I started 
wanting a bigger life. I had sort of tunneled in on myself, seen less people, did less stuff because I didn't have the capacity. And then at some point I was like, you know, I want to be seeing more people. Mm -hmm. I want to find out, find a way to get back to work. You find that you can't help but turn inward when you are the caregiver. Uh, I I don't know a whole lot about pancreatic cancer, but I would think that perhaps um, mobility might gradually decline. And so outings become less frequent. My husband was totally immobilized and we do tend to become much more isolated as the caregiver and then how to step back into the world and dealing with grief. Um, We had almost four years dealing with my husband's illness and we mourned a lot of things along the way because we saw less and less of what we were able to do. Was that your experience? The mourning started prior to losing him? Well, the mourning definitely started prior to losing him, but we took a different tack. the doctors told us to slow down, do less. And we were looking at a finite amount of time that we were going to have together. Right. And so we decided to live full tilt boogie until the end. Excellent. Now within that, he got weaker. He yeah. lost his hair. Um, his balance was off. His energy was less. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, he started having trouble breathing. So there were limitations, you know, um, he used to love to go, he was an artist. He used to love to go and paint for, you know, eight hours and he couldn't do that. Excuse me for interrupting you, but I think this might be a great place to talk about your background because you did share with me that that's one of his paintings. Yes. This is one of his paintings that hangs over the dining room. He was a professional artist Excellent. And he left me uh, close to a thousand paintings, um, which, which is complicated. <laughs> That's a lot of paintings, Allison. It's a lot it's of a, paintings. It's a lot of memories, though, too. So part of my um, part of my message to people, if you will, about don't die before you're dead, as you had limited time thrust upon you, as did I, even though it was a little bit longer. None of us know where that's going to go, where we're going to end up. So to build a life together prior to, well, for as long as you can, because we don't know, right? So the fact that you have all these number of paintings, you have those memories. And I think in in my mind, I'm thinking that memories are probably our most valuable treasures ever. Yeah, no, I think they're they're very valuable as long as we don't distort them. So oh, there's a good point. Right? There is a danger of making that person into a saint. <laughs> well, I, I don't mean to laugh. I'm just thinking of my husband and knowing what his sister would say about that. There's <laughs> yeah, there wasn't much illusion. My husband was a, a realist, but I could see the possibility of that. That's yeah. a really good point, Allison. Have you found some of your clients have maybe built that up or have some illusion after the fact? Well, I think, I think it happens. I think that there's a a tendency to, they say, uh, don't speak ill of the dead. There's that saying, right? Yes. Um, But if you, 
don't see the the foibles and things that the people who have died actually were in life, <laughs> then it starts to color how we see our past and uh -huh. it starts to narrow the possibilities for our future. Right. Well, you have mentioned that you deal with your clients on resilience and probably there's a, a strong measure of reality in there as well. And to help people, as you were mentioning that, we got to step back into life. So no one, I don't think anyone really has a handle on how long it takes for each of us to get to that place. But you arrived at a place where um, you were ready to step into living for lack of a better term. So how did you, how did you come to that realization that you were ready? Um, I, there were so many things that were going wrong. Financially, I was really struggling. Um, I live in New York City. We had an apartment and my husband's studio and rents here are high. So uh, there was, there were financial stresses. Um, I was a consultant, a proofreader and a medical editor. And I was unable to do any of the things I was qualified for because I had the attention span of a fruit fly mm. and I had lost my mind. I literally had gaps in my memory that you could drive a truck through. Oh dear. Difficult my, jobs for sure. Yeah. And my energy was variable. So I had very little capacity to, to reach out to people and interact with people. So I couldn't do anything that I was trained for. Did you have well-meaning friends saying or trying to rush you along in the process and say, you know, like, get over it? I mean, that's kind of crass. I don't think they quite are that bold, but there is a tendency for people not knowing what to do or what to say to kind of think uh, pushing you into, you know, reentry is the best medicine for you. Did you have did you experience that? I definitely experienced that both from family and friends. Um I think that people don't actually understand how long it takes. And I pe think people don't understand the effects of these um, physical things that happen, the memory and the focus and the energy mm -hmm. on our trust in ourselves, in our own bodies, in our capacity to get back to some semblance of who we were. I hear a lot. I don't recognize myself. Oh, okay. In the no. moment or in those 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 after days, people are finding that their usual performance or the per, their usual abilities are waning. You know, like we, I was talking to somebody just the other day, and I'm I'm finding some similarities even with dealing with this whole COVID thing that we have suffered really a great loss with regards to for lack of a better term, our freedoms and our, our, our routines and our norms. And so we have a sense of loss. So dealing with loss can come in many different shapes and sizes, right? Absolutely. And, and the way that you come back from loss. So after any loss, we, it's natural to contract and grieve the loss. Right. So, and, sorry. So why are you a bad widow? I don't want to miss that point. 
sounds to me like you're doing all the normal things. I mean, I can, it's very relatable, I think. And it's like, okay, how, how did you get to be a bad widow? Cause you didn't, uh, what didn't you do? <laughs> so bad widow, um, what happened was I, I came out and my ability to make decisions was really impaired. I, I had a hard time deciding what to do. Um, what kind of activities, what kind of people I wanted to be around. My husband and I were together uh, 25 years. So that was a long time. Mm-hmm. And so we were more an us than an I. Right. I get that. And I didn't know who I was. And into that kind of void where I was very slow making decisions, people jumped in with their ideas. Helpful. Helpful. And, and honestly, very well-meaning, yeah. very caring. So I don't mean to denigrate in any way anything that people try to provide into that void. But the fact of the matter is they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, right. So what do you tell people? How do you, how do you coach your client on dealing with that in the moment when brain fog, lack of focus, lack of energy. I mean, it seems like you're called upon to, you know, muster up all this intestinal fortitude to deal with these well-meaning people at a time when your intestinal fortitude is taking a hiatus. Yeah. One of the things, what I do a lot is I build nets and a lot of the way that I came out and through this was by building nets. So I'd have a, a breakdown of some kind. I couldn't remember to eat for more than five seconds after it hit my mind. And so I put baskets of food all around the apartment. So I would not just be relying on my memory. I'd have a visual cue as well. And so what I recommend to my clients is that they buy some time. That they take in the advice, but that they give themselves the time to say yes or no, because it is slower to figure out what you want Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you were a we and you become an I. Um, And time is a a big thing. I had a lot of people say, how are you? And my thought, especially immediately after he died was, how do you think I am? Yeah, I get that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I lost this man I planned out my entire life with. I was with him for 25 years. What a stupid question. It's kind of the thought. Yeah. But I could answer, how are you right now? How are you today? Yeah. Because it was a narrow enough framework that I could answer it. And so I started showing people how to navigate all this stuff. If you're going places and randomly bursting into tears, which happens, Mm -hmm. how do you plan out what you're going to do when that happens before you go out into the situation when it is happening? One of the experiences I had, Allison, is um, I moved... I left the town that we spent most of our married life in. I too was married almost 25 years, Um, but I packed everything up and I was moving closer to my children. And and I was actually moving in with his sister as a buffer. 
And so I was prepping, packing up the house, downsizing, which, oh my gosh, what a nightmare that was and do that earlier. Um, I don't know what yours was like, but mine was awful because I just, I dilly dallied. I couldn't get myself to do it. And you've explained why I couldn't grasp any thinking. So it didn't hit me until the last load. I packed up my car and I'm heading out of town and I looked in the rearview mirror and it, that sudden wave of permanency hit me and I cried all the way. I went to my oldest son's campground. He and his, his girlfriend were camping and I drove straight there, put my head on his chest and sobbed for ages. But I didn't realize what that was going to be like. And it just sort of raised its head and smacked me in the face. Uh, I imagine that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon at all. And the thing that people don't realize is how long it lasts. So mm -hmm. in the first year, there's a lot of tears. The second year, I could go zero to rage in about five seconds. Oh, rage. Wow. And, rage and at what? Like, what would make you that feel that way? Um, the first year, I was pretty numb. It wasn't, didn't feel that real that he was mm -hmm. gone. Mm -hmm. And the second year, it was real. This okay. is also the moment when people leave most oh, in the second year. Um, so in the first year, people people give you that to a degree. Sometimes it's shorter, but for the most part, if you've lost a spouse, you have a year to grieve. And then people are ready for you to be over it. Mm. Even if you're not. Yeah, I mean, I'm five years in and there are still days, anniversaries, things like that, where the sadness just rises mm -hmm. and I'm more moody. And when that's happening, I start thinking, well, what day is it? What's happening? You know, because at this point, after close to five years, I know this happens. Yes. Yeah. And something has probably triggered it. Like you said, close to an anniversary or a reminder of something that maybe you were looking forward to doing. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and so so sort of the first piece of what I do with clients is I show them how to re-engage in life. So what are they going to do to push out their ba boundaries? Because and, and this I see with the COVID pandemic, people contracted because we couldn't go out and be safe. Right. But we don't expand again just naturally. That's going to take a push. Right. Because we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust the world. Well, you say you're coming from New York where I am just I'm, I'm just just on the outskirts of Toronto. We have opened and closed and opened and closed. So that trust issue has made us very leery in our businesses in particular. Uh, we don't even know what businesses will survive. But trust yep. is is pretty tenuous right now for these circumstances and probably a little tenuous after the loss of a loved one in the sense of being safe out with people again yes yes exactly uh you know i i live i look down into the um er parking lot of a hospital oh dear and in march and april of um 2020 there would be 15 or 20 ambulances there. 
I could see from my window people being rolled into the hospital and not knowing if they would come out. Mm -hmm. The medical examiner is a few blocks away. And there were those trucks for the overflow. Yeah. yeah we right close by. So it was, you know, when, when some parts of the U.S. were, well, this is not a big deal. I mean, I'm watching ambulances and I'm right. saying, yeah, you know something, this is a big deal. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, speaking of, of losses, my, I, I just had a birthday, but my 60th birthday. Well, happy belated. <laughs> yeah. I just turned 61. Oh. Um, happened in the middle of the worst of the pandemic in New York City. Oh. So, I, you know, it just went by. Yeah. Like a pretty big birthday just went by. Yeah. Um, but you have to, you have to hit a point where you want more and start pushing out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the pain of staying in has got to be worse than the pain of reaching out. Yeah. I mean, I sort of say when the longing for more gets bigger than the fear of the pain. Makes a lot of sense then you hit that resilience point and then you have a choice. And I made the choice to, to start pushing out and re-engaging. And the first thing I did was I took a job at a Halloween pop-up store because I couldn't do anything I was trained for. I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. At what kind of a store? A Halloween pop-up oh, store. Oh, Halloween. Okay. Yeah. Right. So there are these stores in New York Halloween, Christmas, and they have sort of decorations and whatever, and they pop up for a couple of months and rent empty spaces. Mm -hmm. And so I had a friend who was a widow who was willing for me to work two four-hour shifts a week. That's all I could manage. And the idea was that I would grow my capacity. Just do something. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. The really distressing thing is that you actually can't start from where you were. Oh, of course. Because you're not there anymore. Right. You're not that person. That's a really good point, Allison, that uh, maybe some people don't realize that and then they feel less than and it becomes maybe a vicious cycle that they can't do what they used to do and don't realize the reasons why and they're feeling trapped. But you reached out in, I mean, from what I gather, that's an entirely different field of work than you'd ever done. Yes. But good for you for doing that. I mean, that's a, that's a, that looks like a baby step, but it probably was a bit of a major step. It was a major step. I would go for my four hour shift and come home and collapse because it was more people and more activity than I've been able to do for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it started me. It gave me a, a foundational step that I could build on. Mm-hmm. And so that's re-engage. The second piece was reinvent. I didn't know who I was as an I because I'd been a we for so long. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the beginning of relationships, you kind of go along with stuff. Yeah. Like, well, he likes to do that and I don't mind. Right, right. So I'll go along. 
And what happened after my husband David died is that I started really looking at all the things that we did together and making decisions about whether I wanted those to continue being in my life. Could I add a point here, Allison? Of course. Um, I've been, I was twice divorced before I met my husband. So I've been divorced twice and now a widow, but in between, I married the same kind of guy twice, but in between, after the second husband, I had to do exactly that. So what you're talking about really isn't just limited to the death of a spouse, but it could be due to divorce where people, the loss of the marriage as opposed to the physical person. So I experienced that. And I think it's probably, probably connects with both groups of people. Yeah, they're both losses. I mean, when you marry, whether or not it works out, whether or not it's your choice to leave, you you are grieving the loss of what you imagined your life with that person would be. Mm -hmm. So there is grief there, but we're not in our culture. We're not allowed to grieve our losses. And what winds up happening is we drag it behind us into the next thing. So we never get ourselves to a fresh start because there was never a, a, a closure or a completion or a, an expression of that real pain that happened and wasn't you, honored. You deliberately took the time and the effort to do that assessment. Is it possible that many people really rush on and they don't take that time to discover that self-discovery. Like I have a friend who really doesn't like to be alone and the time span between her relationships is very short. It is important that we rediscover who we are. Is it not like you're saying? It's very important because until you can discover who you are, you can't make distinctions if we're talking relationships about who you want to be with. You're forever mirroring what that other person wants. So what happens in that case is you become kind of a chameleon. But that is not the basis for a a sustainable, satisfying relationship. So how did you discover who you were? What kind of things did you do? You know, you did the assessment. You looked at the things that perhaps had changed in your relationship. And then, you know, reflected on, it's like, it's probably like your clothes, you know, you just decide what you're going to keep in the wardrobe and what you're not. Yeah, but we change throughout. So the clothes that fit me in my 20s, not just physically fit me, but fit me in terms of who I am, no longer work in my 50s. And there's nothing wrong with either set of clothes. Right. But if they don't fit anymore, then they don't fit anymore. So I would do things like, okay, let me go and play tennis, which my husband loved, but I don't love it as much. Right. Uh, He, I love open mic, open mic singing, open mic poetry. Really? How fascinating. (laughs) Yep. And um, I, I used to do that a lot and he didn't like it. And so I cut back on that. So I would take back the things that I really loved. I let go of the things he loved and I didn't in everything. Makes sense. One of the 
biggest places where I, I reinvented was uh, love. And love was the hardest because when, when you become a widow, you didn't choose for the parting. Mm-hmm. It was outside of your control. And there's something that when you say till death to us part, you kind of don't get the reality of that. Right. Until death actually parts you. Right. My husband died at home. I was holding him in my arms. He took four breaths and left. So till death do us part, I get that, (laughs) you know, you've lived it. I lived it. And so people don't get that, get what that reality is like till death do us part. It's part of why we decided to, to just live, to recommit to love, to do the things we most enjoyed um, before he died. And in love, I decided intimacy was absolutely inconceivable to me, but I decided that I wanted to go and do things with men that I enjoyed activities, Mm -hmm. go to the movies, go see a, go to a museum, do stuff. Mm -hmm. The last time I had dated was 1992 and it was 2018. Things changed a bit. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, the, the, the body of a 30-something-year-old and the body of a 50-something-year-old are very different. Mm-hmm. My confidence about my ability to date was, you know, I was pretty clueless. I had no idea how the game went at this point. Um, so I decided to get on an online dating app. And do it that way. I still had very limited energy. And I wanted to be able to filter out the ones who didn't want me. So I didn't say anything about the guy needs to be blah, 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 blah. I said, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm a widow. I prefer rocky beaches to sandy ones. And and my whole point was to have them deselect me. That's a great, uh, a great twist on what I think other people are doing. Exactly. Exactly. I, if, if they didn't want me, I didn't even want to meet them. I didn't have enough energy. Makes sense. And what I did was I ran my, my Bumble account like a marketing campaign. So I, I put up words and I put up pictures And then I saw the results I got, kind of responses, the kind of men. And then I would change something to get better results. That does sound like marketing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly like marketing. Yeah. So so yes, no, yes, no. And, And what it allowed me to do, which is part of this reinvent, is make fast distinctions. I had no idea what I liked in a man. I had been with the same man since 1992. 
So it was kind of a discovery. Oh, wow, this person is responding in this way. I really like that. Or uh-huh. I don't. You're right. You know, and and having the ability to quickly screen out the people who were not mine was fabulous. What a great approach. Yeah, I did this until I got only men that I thought I'd enjoy going out with. And I didn't encounter a single, once I started actually meeting people, encounter a single person who wasn't great. They were not all great for me. Right. Right. Um, What a great idea. What a, it sounds like a a better way to handle your own personal emotional balance or status at that point that the last thing you want to encounter is um you know any kind of rejection in that regard once you get to know people i mean you know i think you would still be somewhat vulnerable very vulnerable and it was the hardest passage in terms of coming back after my husband died love opening up to love was the scariest I, I couldn't trust my own body coming back around to trust. Because mm-hmm. I was only accustomed to my husband's skin for 25 years. Mm-hmm. 20, it had been 27 years since anyone else had touched me. So if someone tried to kiss me, I had a full-on panic attack. If someone tried to touch me on an anniversary or a bad day, I would literally say, get away from me. Don't touch me. And so it was really complicated. I mean, I was not an easy person as I was going through this, but I was willing to keep pushing up against, this is the pushing out the boundaries, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Pushing up against my own feelings. And the, the thing that was key to getting through that was that, when I would have these unusual body reactions, visceral reactions, I had to ask myself, was it me, was it him, or was it us? Because asking those questions told me what to do next. Mm-hmm. And it was important to be really responsible for my own craziness. <laughs> as I was going through this, it's, it's not understandable to other people who haven't been through it. Well, you know, that whole expression, walk a mile in my shoes before, you know, you place judgment or offer unsolicited advice or whatever. It is truly unique to the individual. And um, so at that point, you talk about uh, re-engage, which you've done. You had to reinvent. So yep. you had to look at who you were as a as an I as opposed to a we. I love that. Um, you're, yeah, yeah, it is it's so relatable to, to what, I, what I've been through. And I get that. And I think a lot of people are. Uh, and it takes time to adjust that and to find out who you are. And if it's a if it's a divorce, um, you know, looking at saying, well, what went wrong? I mean, with, with death, I mean, we didn't have choices, like you said. Um, so you reinvented, you jumped back into the workforce. You've 
went into the dating world, um, you're rebuilding a life. I mean, 61 is so young. I just turned 70. So I, I'm looking and say, wow, that's cool. <laughs> but there's so much more to come, right? So you're, you're, you're optimistic. You're looking forward and you're saying, you know, and probably saying things like, David would not appreciate or want you to turn off the spigot and stay home. You know, just to forget right. living. and neither would my husband. So in the process of that, of moving forward, you, you know, you've given yourself the time, you've done the reflections. They sound like extremely important things to do for your mental well-being. Absolutely. Absolutely. The last thing was rebuild networks of support. Mm -hmm. because. People who can't handle mortality and can't handle loss, they duck out. Yes. Or they step back. And we think about networks as only for business, but they exist throughout our lives. And there's nowhere more than with the loss of a spouse that that becomes clear. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking at my networks, not by default, but by design. Who did I need in my life? What activities did I want to be doing? What dreams did I have? And did I have the people in there who would support them? But I will say to your point, self-care is critical. Yeah. Self-care and self-expression saved me. Absolutely saved me. Do you still participate in open mic? Yes. Open things. Uh, self That's part of self-expression. So I participate in open mics. I actually run, host a virtual open mic and I've been doing it every Monday since March of 2020. Awesome. Where can people find that, Allison? Um, that's kind of a small group. <laughs> okay. Secret group. It's, it's like a family. Okay. And, and part of the purpose of that is to hold the family together. Excellent. What a great idea though. And I'm, I'm in the middle of a book, which will be published in June, The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss. Oh, that sounds like valuable. It sounds so important. I don't know how many of my listeners might be uh, on their own right now through one loss or another, but I think, it's a, I think there needs to be more discussion about all of it. It, it, it's not a comfortable topic for many people. And as you say, um, people not knowing how to respond or how to behave or what to say, they do nothing and they do tend to withdraw or they come alongside you and chirpy and, you know, ask ridiculous questions. And it's because we don't know. So that sounds like an incredible um incredible guide for people to whether they've lost somebody or not just even how to respond to somebody in the family that has because loss will always be with us and and um so hopefully we will find lots of information about where to find that when the time comes i mean you're talking june this year that's only like six weeks away Four oh i know <laughs> yeah <laughs> so exactly so where, you know, people looking now and saying, um, you're someone I need to connect with because you're not just 
spouting theory from a university degree. You know what you're talking about. You've lived it. You make some excellent points. Where can people find you? You've got clients, obviously. So uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you, Allison? Badwidow.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. No, no www. Badwidow.com. H-T-T-P-S. Okay. Badwidow.com. Excellent. And I would imagine, I won't say assume because we know what that's all about. I can imagine that uh, when your book comes out, you will have it available um, on your website. And, and where else might it be found? Uh, it will be on Amazon. Um, Excellent. It will probably be in BookBub. You know, it will be widely available. Excellent. Well, I think it's a it's a much, much needed book. And uh, um I'm really excited for you going forward. So what's on your horizon for you? What's your, um, like I, I posted, because I wanted to do this tour, I've posted some things I wanted to do this year. I tried paddle boarding last year. I refused to grow up. Um, so this year, my three things that. on my tour were to go horseback riding, to go up in a hot air balloon, and to, what was the, oh, go zip lining. But those are all physical activities, and I'm blessed with good health to, at the moment to be able to go out and do those things. Um, it's kind of interesting. I've just connected with a woman who does one-on-one uh, -on -one personal face-to-face -face, uh, introductions for a podcast. And of course, first thing she says, so you're single. Are you? <laughs> it's kind of, so what is your, what is, what's on your horizon? I guess getting your book is a big thing, but what's, what sort of big thing are you looking to move forward with for that's for Allison, not for anybody else? Yeah, for me, um, I am looking to publish the book and to have it be a bestseller, bestseller book globally available. Um, I am looking to s start really selling my husband's legacy of art, mm -hmm. those thousand paintings. I'm looking for more uh, paid speaking engagements. I'm looking to when anyone wants U.S. citizens to travel to their country <laughs> looking to, to travel again. Right, right. Um, it's, you know, a lot of our, like like you, a lot of our um, movement at the moment is variable. Yes, so we, yes. Um, well, I was supposed to leave May 10th on my tour, and that's all been pushed back, but... I, I will do something, even if it's only limited to my own region or my own area. Uh, I refuse not to step out and I will adjust my sales. My husband and I were sailors, so I'm used to adjusting my sales and I will do something and I will live large and fully. And Allison, it's been an extreme pleasure to meet up with you and to hear your story and I wish you all the very best of everything. And I'm excited for you. I'm excited for, for you to go out and, and just share your message with those who need it, because I, you will make a huge impact. And as you bless yeah. others, I, it is my prayer that you will be blessed richly as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mary. We'll, we'll, we'll talk again soon because I need to get in touch with you. Take care. Bye-bye.